Hello, I'm Casey. And I'm Emily. And you're listening to A Sprinkle of Sugar, A Dash of Murder, a true crime podcast with an element of baking. And what is the bake this week? So we are... Okay, you tell me the title. Okay, so the murder we are doing this week, the case, um, the killer is called the Sunday Morning Slasher. All right, so Sunday morning, you know what we all do on Sunday morning? We make breakfast. So obviously it's breakfast food. I'm thinking Belgian waffles. I haven't... (laughs) Julie is very (laughs) excited about that. She really wants a Belgian waffle. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a homemade Belgian waffle. I got this recipe off of the salty marshmallow.com. Um, and yeah, so we'll share the recipe with you, but, um, it's pretty standard ingredients. And then, you know, on waffles, you can cut up any kind of fruits you like. I really like strawberries on my waffles with like, uh, like a strawberry sauce. Me too. Yeah. That just tastes the best to me. So that's what I'll probably be putting on mine for our wedding. We got a nice waffle maker. So, I mean, obviously that's a necessity in making a waffle is having a waffle maker. Clearly. Right, Jilly. Right. So Jilly's joining us today. So she'll be listening in and playing with the voice. Making vital comments. (laughs) Yes. All right. So, obviously, this guy's name is not actually the Sunday morning slasher. It is Carl Eugene Watts. And he was born in Texas, but he lived with his mother in Inkster, Michigan, because his parents separated at the age of two. And Watts claims he was only 12 years old when he started fantasizing about killing girls. And he started stalking girls at the age of 12 years old as well. So what do you mean by stalking? Like, like following them and like, wait, what year was this again? 16 in 1969. So let me do the math. He was born in 1953. (laughs) Well, uh, when he was 13, he was infected with meningitis, which caused him to be held back to eighth grade or held back in the eighth grade. And when he came back to school, he had difficulty keeping up with the other students. So he was failing a lot and he was reading at a third grade level at the age of 18. So that's, that's not good. No. And he unfortunately was, had, you know, severe bullying, like people bullied him for it at school. Well, I mean, if he focused more on his schooling rather than stalking girls, then maybe I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, priorities, man. Priorities, indeed. Learn to read first and then stalk. Just <laughs> and then stalk. Um, so it didn't take long to escalate because on June 29th, 1969, when he was 16 years old, uh, he was arrested for sexually assaulting 26-year-old Joan Gave. Um, so he did go to jail for that. Um, and when the police asked him like why he just said, he just felt like beating somebody up. Ew, that is gross. Yeah. Like, 
okay i just feel like beating someone up then pick a guy don't beat up a harmless girl and i it really baffles me he was 16 and she was 26 so he had to have been like a big guy you know not that like I don't know like it's possible but she's like older you know and he still was able to like overpower her you know no yeah I was thinking that too like I'm I'm 25 I feel like I could take out a 16 year old kid I feel like I could take him on I feel like it you know yeah so unless but I mean there are some 16 year olds that are like men so yeah I guess I, I guess you're right maybe he was bigger I'm thinking he was yeah <laughs> Uh, so he was sent to Lafayette Clinic, which is a mental hospital in Detroit, and he was diagnosed with mild mental retardation, and that he was tested and had an IQ of 68 and was also diagnosed with delusional thought process. So despite all of that, he was released in November that same year because uh, they didn't think he needed to be held anymore. Um. And despite his grades, he ended up graduating high school in 1973, and he even got a football scholarship to go to Lane College. So he was really good at football. Okay, so that kind of answers our question on his size. I mean, right, true. Big guy, football yeah. scholarship makes sense. Um, so it could have been great for him. He could have done things with football and done good in college. However, he was expelled from Lane College after only three months because of the number of women who reported him for stalking and assault in only three months. So nuts. Yeah. That's really scary. I mean, okay, I feel like one woman coming forward and saying that he, they were assaulted by this guy is enough for expulsion. But like, yeah. I wonder how many it was that actually- I'm not sure. Doing that too. Yeah. And on top of that, one of the female students at the college was also brutally murdered at that time. And most of the students and the staff believed he had something to do with it, but there was no evidence. So he was never convicted of that murder. They don't know for sure, which is crazy. What um, the heck? Yeah. Like that kind of, I, I, yeah, I would think it was him. I feel like yeah. there should have been like charges or something or more of an investigation on him at that point then. I think so too. Maybe the slashing wouldn't have ever happened. Possibly, you know, early offenses tend to go unnoticed, unfortunately, in these cases. Yeah. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Yeah. But after that, he moved to Houston, Texas. And this is when he started really um murdering women like a, a spree of it and he was only 20 years old and it started in 1974 so on october 25th 1974 a woman named lenore nizaki answered her door to a knock and saw a man asking for someone named charles and she said like oh there's no charles here sorry but before she could shut the door again, he started choking her and she fought back and he ran off. So it was unsuccessful, but he attacked her. Okay. Here's the weird thing. And this mm -hmm. is a weird thought. Um, like that's a really scary thing to happen. 
but from his point of view, like, what do you think was going through his mind? Like, to, you know, like, okay, when I knock on this woman's door, I'm going to ask her a question, you know, like, yeah. why do you think he chose oh, is Charles here? <laughs> yeah. It's a so weird, random. it's a really weird tactic. And like, why? I think about it more. Maybe he was thinking like, okay, so I'll ask like if a male name is here. So then she'll say, no, Charles doesn't live here. I'm the only one here or something like that. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. She's alone. Ah! That, it could know. be. Yeah. Like the thought process is strange. And yeah. I just, it's a weird thing. He didn't. He, yeah. And, and like, he didn't wait to be invited into the house either. Like, like right there on the doorstep did it yeah so why even say anything at all yeah it's super weird i don't know uh but in kalamazoo on october 30th which is only five days later gloria Steele, another woman opened her door to a knock and again it was him asking for someone named charles and this but gloria let him in this time and he stabbed her 33 times and this is Charles, it just some random name he decided to go with. Like, some okay, random. that's gonna be my cover. Question: What? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's super weird. What if he confront meets a Charles? Yes, let me get my husband really quick. Yeah, literally, literally, <laughs> he doesn't think that far. He doesn't think that through. Um, unfortunately, Gloria, she did die of her wounds. Um, and she, her killer would remain unidentified for quite some time. Um, he attempted another attack not long after that, but the woman escaped and she actually remembered his license plate. So she turned him into the police with his license plate number. That's nuts. I can hardly even memorize, like, the first three digits of a phone number i know let alone Good a whole her. and being in a situation like that your brain you've got to be so frazzled so scared right and you're like i'm gonna remember this number this, like there, this license plate. there was one time where i was um i was being followed by a car it was really it was a creepy situation and it's a long story but Uh, I was being followed. I ended up having my friend in the car call the police. And um, I was having a hard time just like describing like the car. And I couldn't even tell them like what model it was. Like, yeah. So so good for her because Mm -hmm. that's that's a lot of that's it's really good information. Yeah. And it was so good that she got him. It worked. He got arrested for assault and battery and she also was able, able to identify him in a lineup so good work and he admitted to attacking at least a dozen women when he was arrested this time but he did not admit to cl- killing um gloria Steele. so he had to undergo some psychiatric testing and was determined to be emotionally detached, reckless and impulsive, but did not suffer from any kind of psychosis. But they did diagnose him with antisocial disorder as well. So as he was in prison, he attempted to hang himself, but he did not succeed. 
and he was diagnosed with depression and was, uh, but he was also determined, even though he had depression, he was fit to stand trial. Good. Is depression a reason to not be put on trial? I think so. I think it, it depends on like how the doctors diagnose you and like the severity and whatnot. So I, I think so. <laughs> um, unfortunately, he was released in the summer of 76 because there was nothing to tie him to Gloria's death. Um, and and everything else he was charged with was um, assault, but it wasn't like as much of a crime in the eyes of the law, you know, as murder. So I don't, I don't know the details of the trial, but he was released. So even uh, when you're going, like that's ridiculous to me because even when he's admitted to what, like you said, 12, 11 or twelve other, yeah, twelve. Like, why is he? like that's obviously he's just gonna keep doing it uh-huh yeah uh he started work as a mechanic and started dating a woman named dolores and they had a daughter together i believe they had a daughter yeah um but he married a different woman named valeria but they divorced after six months and she said he was violent and strange and she also said every time that they had sex, he would just up and leave right afterwards for hours at a time. Ew. Yeah. And then. It's so weird. It is super strange. If I had a boyfriend who did that, I'd be like, what the hell is wrong with you? We're breaking up right now. Like. That is so strange. Red flag. Um, that is such a red flag. I just don't even understand that. No, it, it's super weird. Like, can you imagine? She's just like, seems legit. She's like, okay, but <laughs> See you later. it was suspected that during that time when he would just leave, it was when he was like stalking people and following his victims. It's okay. It is weird that he would do it after the fact. Yeah. Like, I think that he'd, you know, come home after being gone for hours and I just feel like if she's gone for hours or if he's gone for hours before, and then he comes home and then they do the deed, then it makes more sense than like him doing it afterwards. But yeah, I mean, whatever, a, I guess. It's a weird reversal. Yeah. <laughs> so this is when that spree started. Um, and on, on October 8th, 1979, Peggy Pushmara, who was 22, was strangled in Detroit. October 31st, 1979, Jean Klein, who was 44, was stabbed in Michigan. March 11th, 1980, Hazel Conniff was 23. She was strangled in Detroit. March 31st, 1980, Denise Dunmore, who was 23, was also strangled in Detroit. On April 20th, 1980, Shirley Small, who was 17, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, was stabbed twice in her heart outside her home, like outside her home in the middle of the day. And nobody saw. That's really scary. And it oh, like usually, you know, he, he he seems to stick to stabbing and strangling. But I wonder, like, mm-hmm. what makes him pick between the two? Like why he why he does one or the other? Yeah. 
it's weird because he's it's very random the ages are kind of all over the place um and then he, he will have we'll see one more or two more modes of murder as well as he goes on so it's very weird that the mo changes um <clears throat> and that's also why he's called the sunday morning slasher is because often it was in the morning in broad daylight outside their homes so i just can't imagine how many times this has happened and nobody saw anything so he must have and he was stalking his victims so he must have like known when there wasn't going to be people around in the neighborhood or something you know which is really scary i wonder how long he would stalk for and i wonder how long he would um like how he would choose his victims yeah it didn't really go into the detail of that, but I don't know. It, people in the, the same area, you know, like the, between Michigan and stuff. But <clears throat> so on May 31st, 1980, Linda Montanero, uh, she was 27 and she was strangled in Detroit. In July 1980, um, Glenda Richmond, 26, was stabbed in Ann Arbor with 28 stab wounds to her chest. And then September 14, 1980, Rebecca Huff, who was 20 years old, was stabbed 50 times outside her home. And she became the first victim who could actually be linked to Carl. But it took two months after her death to link him to it. How? <clears throat> Oh, you're going to tell us, aren't you? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So that's a lot of women before they even had an inkling of who this guy was. And this is just the Michigan murders. There are Texas murders that we will get into as well. You know, he, okay, wait, what? Michigan all the way to Texas? It's nuts. Yeah, because... This was um, when he was in school in Michigan and when he lived there. And then when he moved to Texas after he was expelled is when that happened. Yeah. I was just thinking about how much anger seems like it's behind it. I mean, stabbing someone 50 something times. It's just nuts. Yeah, I know. It takes it's a lot of aggression, anger, all those things. Um. So the case would become one of the largest police investigations in the Ann Arbor area, which is um, where University of Michigan is. And um, the detective on the case, Paul Bunton, um, he dedicated years, like so much effort um, into this. So it's the people of Ann Arbor and like their... um, newspaper who gave him the name the sunday morning slasher um and they were obviously really scared because they were women of the area of all ages he didn't really seem to have a certain type because all the women like looked different right there is like a certain relief you get when you realize okay i'm not i'm not this person's this creepy guy's type you know yeah so to know that it's just it's any woman is really frightening mm-hmm Um, They started patrols around Ann Arbor and a task force. And in July of 1980, 
Um, in Windsor, Irene Kondratowicz, who was 22, was attacked and had her throat slashed, but she lived. So, yeah, amazingly, she lived. Can you imagine? And um, similarly, Sandra Dolph, who was 20 years old, she also survived um, after being stabbed from behind. And another woman, Mary Angus, who was 30 years old, escaped after an attack by screaming when she realized she was being followed. So someone came over to help or she scared him away by like screaming. Um, so Good these women, her. yeah. Cause a lot of women will just like <laughs> be quiet. Like, okay, he's following me, but I'm not really sure. You know, yeah. she's, she's smart, but it's like, Hey, I need help. You know? Cause you mm-hmm. want to save your own life doing that. Attract attention. Even if you like, like even a little bit suspect someone is following you. Um, so these women, the survivors, were able to pick him up out of a photo lineup, um, but they were unable to say for sure that the attacker was him. Because, um, you know, these things happen really fast. One of the women was stabbed from behind and just left there. So, um, but detectives discovered Watts's car was recorded as leaving Windsor for Detroit after each attack. So he became the leading suspect because of that, because he's traveling between the two towns where these attacks are happening. November 15th, officers saw a slow-moving car following a young woman walking home. Um, The woman realized she was being followed and she hid in like a dark doorway on the street. Officers said they saw Carl start to go crazy when he couldn't see her anymore. So they pulled him over. And they arrested him for having an expired license plate. Okay, wait. So they see him start to go crazy. What do they mean by that? Do you know what he was, what he was doing? <clears throat> like he was, she hid from him. So he was like going, he was like frantic and getting really angry, like visibly was like freaking out. Like, where is she? And stuff like that. But he was in his car. I mean, like, so could they just see how he was behaving in his car? I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. Okay. So they got him on an expired license plate, but what really, um, sold it was that they found a dictionary in his car that had the inscription, Rebecca is a lover. And they realized it belonged to Rebecca Huff, who was the 20 year old who was, um, murdered earlier in the year. <clears throat> who became that first victim that they were able to tie to him directly. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough to convict at this time just because he had the dictionary. So he was let go, but they started round-the-clock surveillance on him to try and pin something else on him. But Carl knew he was being watched, so he was pretty laid back for like two months. And Carl refused to say anything. But he cried when Detective Bunton described how the women were murdered, like in an interview. Total BS, you know. So what do you think? Is he a sociopath then? Yeah, I don't think he cares. Like at all. 
Well, that would be psychopath, right? <clears throat> mm. Yeah. Yeah. Sociopath where he, um, excuse me, my house is a mess. Literally, <laughs> my dog is blocking me completely. Okay. So I was saying, so sociopaths, what they do <clears throat> is they are, they cannot blend in easily in society. They're usually outcasts, you know, the antisocial that makes sense for him. Yeah. And then also showing, they do show some remorse, right? I think, um, yeah, like they have, they still have like a, they have these moral weird code. emotional outbursts. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> So that makes sense with him. Yeah. Yeah. That right. makes sense. Mm-hmm. But that's so stupid. You know what? You did that. Why, yeah. why the hell are you crying? Exactly. You don't have the right. Just no. stop. Just knock it off. Stupid, stupid. Carl. Right? Carl. Yes. Ugh, Carl. He also, at some point, I'm not going to call him this, but he changed his name to Coral because he liked the <laughs> way it sounded. Like the southern way of saying it, and all I can think is the Walking Dead. I'm not gonna say it. Coral. Yeah. So I'm gonna call him Carl. Because he no. That's so stupid. I know. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, call him Carl, not Coral. So, um. He was released, but was suspected of five possible murders because they don't know about like all those other women yet. Um, and this is when he moved to Texas and started a job in the Houston area. So Paul, unlike many other cops, God bless him, he immediately sent everything that they had on Carl to the Houston police when he found out he moved there. And he's like, you need to watch him. I'll give you everything I have. Let's work together. This guy is definitely up to something. Thank you. Yes, that thank needs you. To happen more often, and especially in that time in the mm-hmm. late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, that was like not happening. I know. I'm uh, good on him. Yes, I know. Bless him. Bless him. Um. So, Houston Police Sergeant Tom Ladd said it was very difficult to build a case because Carl was killing across state lines. He never sexually assaulted his victims, so there was no DNA, and he used different methods to kill. So it was hard to pin all these different things on one person, um, <clears throat> which I don't, I don't know why. I mean, what am I trying to say here? I don't know if he did that intentionally because he knew it would be difficult to pin on him or if he just was like whatever whatever mode is easiest in this moment you know i think he was too stupid to do it intentionally yeah i would agree with that i do i don't think that he was no i think that he was he was kind of dumb yeah so on september 5th 1981 lillian tilly was attacked in her arlington apartment and drowned in her swimming pool so now we have a new method which is drowning which he will start to do and later that same month elizabeth montgomery who was 25 um she died after being stabbed in the chest while out walking her dogs 
like walking her dogs in the daylight. That's one of the most like normal, like calming things you can do. You know, you never expect to be attacked walking your dog. Yeah. Especially like you kind of hope that your dog would protect you or yeah it's kind of ballsy of him to do it while she has her dogs on her because he Mm -hmm. doesn't know how her dogs are gonna act yeah and then also shortly after that susan wolf who was 21 was attacked and murdered as she was getting out of her car at her home in her driveway and um one of the things that kills me the most about this case is how many of them were like in the doorway of the home in the driveway like you are home you are supposed to be safe on your property it's just so crazy that's so sad um yeah I mean like that's the last thing I think would happen to me especially in the middle of the day I'm I'm mm -hmm. going to my car or I'm getting out of my car and I get attacked (laughs) there's so much going on in your house I know Saturday morning, I guess, is not the morning to do this. I didn't realize everything that would be happening. Oh, my gosh. Like, my dog, he never even, like, tries to play with me. And he's just, like, he's trying to play with the baby. Not, like, yeah. harmfully, but he's literally bringing, a to- like, a tug-of-war toy up to her, like, to play tug-of-war. <laughs> he's launched her. <laughs> he doesn't even know what he's doing. He could literally drag her across this floor. <laughs> yeah, and she'd let him. <laughs> she'd be like, whoa! Yeah. Oh, my God. <clears throat> so, then, um, on May 23rd, 1982, Carl broke into Lori Lister and Melinda Aguilar's home. And the two of them were roommates. And they were roommates. Okay, sorry. I was just going <laughs> to mute to say that. <laughs> and, and they were roommates. Oh, my God. That is a, <laughs> an old vine. It is. Back to vine. Super old. Yeah. <laughs> Dating myself. Okay. Um, so he strangled Lori. <clears throat> and Melinda came home to see... Um, her unconscious body on the floor and then he attacked melinda and started strangling her and in it she lived and in an interview melinda said he came in and grabbed me and just started choking me and told me if i screamed he would kill me so it's so scary so scared because my yeah my reaction if i see my friend unconscious on the floor is to run to them Mm-hmm. But I mean, the safest thing that you should do is to run away and call the police as yeah. far as like your own safety. Mm-hmm. But I and, know, I know I couldn't do that. Yeah. And like, you don't, I don't know, just walking into that situation would be absolutely terrifying. Um, <clears throat> and then Carl dragged both of them upstairs and started filling the bathtub to drown Melinda. And Melinda also said, quote, he was excited and hyper and clapping and kept making noises, like how excited he was that this was going to be fun. And he clapped and jumped up and down. And that's when I knew I had to do something. 
That is disgusting. See, yeah. I, I think that, yeah, I think he was like a little bit more, um, what's, what's the word? Disabled, I guess, mm-hmm. than, than we think, you know, I think that he really had some, yeah, some scary, oh my gosh. And yeah, she's right. I mean, if she, that would definitely be telling like, okay, this guy is not going to stop. He's loving this way too much. Like, he's, uh-huh. He's you know, gonna, it's not going to end up well. remorse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, imagine you exactly. someone you're conscious watching somebody rejoicing about how excited they are about that they're about to murder you. Like, no, that just uh, seems like a terrifying, scary nightmare. Yeah, living it's like literally out of a horror movie. Like he's actually a monster. That's mm-hmm. disgusting. So. Melinda's a badass because while he was focusing on filling up the bathtub and he was about to drown Lori, um, who was unconscious but not dead yet, so he was going to drown her, Melinda escaped by jumping off the second floor balcony and ran to a neighbor. And the neighbor went back with Melinda. Like, Melinda was like, we are not leaving Lori. And she went back in that house with the neighbor. They rescued Lori and Carl was caught red-handed trying to escape the house. When the and the police got him, because they called. What was his neighbor that felt like he could take this guy on? I don't know, but like this neighbor's like, oh yeah, let's go. We got this. I got this. I mean, good thing because I think if they waited, Lori probably would have been dead. He probably would have drowned her. How can you convince, uh, like the neighbor to go in and like, yeah, risk their life for that? I mean, that's amazing, and I'm yeah, like. I love a good badass story. I know. But that's so crazy. I mean, like, I don't know. Be like, I'm not going. I could see like, like I'll call like the cops. 99% but... of people would be like, no, let's stay outside and call the police. I'm not going in there. Yeah. I don't know yeah. how she could convince. Okay. Now let's go back. I just jumped out the window. Now let's go back. Right. Oh my gosh. Like you have to be so brave. Like they're that's so brave on both of them. I'm like, Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. So Carl is arrested and um, they kind of, the police decided to search around the neighborhood just in case there was anything else weird going on that night. And good thing they did because they found the body of Michelle Madej in one of the neighbor's houses in her bathtub. So she had been killed earlier that night before he went to Lori and Melinda's. So he was just hopping around houses in this neighborhood. Okay, wait, was it her house that she was in or was it some yes. other person? No, oh, okay. it was her house. The way you yes. said that made it sound like it was like- Sorry, like some random neighbor's, neighbor's house randomly. <laughs> My bad, no. Okay, so she was the neighbor. Yes. Um, so um, police felt they had insufficient evidence for all of the murders. So- they made a plea deal with Watts. If Watts sat down with investigators and gave them confessions along with full details of all of his crimes, they would give him immunity for all murder charges. And he would only truly receive a burglary charge with intent to kill. What? Which isn't, yeah. I get that you want, you want, the details you want the names so you can find these people whatnot but that, that i mean giving him immunity for everything he's done 
Oh my god, that is nuts. I mean, that's because yeah. that because he's going giving away like death sentence or at least life in prison mm-hmm. for what like five years, five to yeah. ten years. I don't know how long that is, but like I know it's not life. Yeah, and like they have they have to have enough evidence to at least convict him of the murder of the woman the neighbor in the bathtub right plus the plus then the attempted murder and all that that would i feel like that would put him away for life so i mean i understand that these people deserve to be found and their families deserve to have like a name put to who did all this but at the same time then they will never get justice yeah so it's unfair because yeah okay you get a name and mm-hmm. you get the story, but that's it. But he's that's not getting it. truly punished for it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's <sighs> infuriating. That is horrible. That's yeah. stupid. That, and that's- <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, so, of course, he took the deal. So he confessed to 19 attacks and 13 murders in the state of Texas. And... He confessed to the murders of Linda Tilly, Elizabeth Montgomery, Susan Wolfe, and Phyllis Tam, who they didn't previously know about, who he choked while he was out on a jog. And then he hung Phyllis Tam from a tree. And her body was discovered because it was like hung publicly, but they didn't have anything to tie him, tie her murder to him until he confessed. Um, He's just all over the place, too, with how he kills yeah and what he does afterwards Mm -hmm. so it goes on more more women they didn't previously know about was um the murder of margaret fossey from a blow to the throat um and he put her in a car and what what they mean by blow to the throat i don't even know i'm assuming it's some kind of like slashing but like really really violently you know a blow to the throat i take that more as like a like hitting someone like a, with a bat or like a hammer or your fist, yeah. like a really hard to the throat. Yeah. What? I didn't, I mean, I guess I knew that people could die by that, but like. That's intense. That's a really, that's scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also admitted to slashing a woman's throat as she changed her tire on the side of the road and slashing another woman's throat and stabbing another one with an ice pick. All of these women lived who all three of those women, three or four. Um, Imagine just changing your tire. You're yeah. having a bad enough day. Now you have to change your tire. And then someone just decides to come up and slash your throat. Literally. The world is a scary place. <laughs> it is truly so scary. You never know when or who is going to come at you. I, always be on your guard. Always. Um, yeah, so it's amazing, and thank God all of those women lived, but that's a heavy thing to live with, you know? And he was he got super weird and said, I mean, he was already weird, but he stole items from each of these women and burned them to cleanse the spirit. Ew, shut whatever, up. Whatever. Whatever. Mm-hmm. What does that even mean? I don't know, but he also said... They had they he killed them because they had evil eyes. Like I think you have evil eyes. You have evil everything in your body. Yeah. 
what are you talking about? How can a 17 year old girl have evil eyes? Mm -hmm. Sick. Yeah. And how can you, you you attack one from behind? How can you see their eyes? Coward. Ugh. Um, he also confessed to the murders of Elena Samander, Emily Lacroix, who was only 14 years old, um, Anna Ledette, Yolanda uh, Garcia, Carrie Jefferson, Susanna Searles, and Michelle Madej. 14 you know years you, old. That's, okay, for one, that's so sad that he killed a 14-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. That's just horrible. And the fact that he gets immunity from that is uh-huh. yeah. Um also, um, do you think he knew their names? I think I think yes, he did because um especially like the times he stole things from people, like possibly like IDs, stuff like that. Um, and when he like heard about it in the papers, like he knew that it was him who did it. So he would hear the name. Um, so maybe not initially, but I think he knew later, you know, when the names were out. Um, especially with the case of Emily Lacroix, because her case was huge and people were looking for her everywhere. She's a 14 year old girl. Um, so he had to have known her, especially. Um, so in the, those are all of the thing, uh, murders and attacks he confessed to. His victims ranged in age from eight, or 14 to 44, and he used bludgeoning, strangulation, stabbing, and drowning. Um, and almost all of his victims were white women. Um, and he is a black man. So I don't know. Not all of them were white, but most of them were. And these were only his Texas murders. In attacks, he never confessed to any of the Michigan crimes. Well, yeah, I mean, because then he could be convicted of that because that wasn't. Yeah, that wasn't wasn't part of the deal. deal. So because of the plea deal, he was never charged with murder for any of those women. Um, He did plead guilty to burglary with intent to kill and received a sentence of 60 years in prison. Michigan said absolutely not. We are not agreeing to any kind of deal. And they pursued a, um, a case with him. They continued to try and get him with a harsher sentence for murder. Um, so only a few, a few months into his sentence, uh, he attempted to escape. He greased himself with hair gel and tried to squeeze out of the jail cell window. Genius. Genius move. And I mean, I picture this really big guy, too. Yeah. And he got stuck. And the the guards had to, like, squeeze him out. They had to get him out because he got stuck. So, you're stupid. I don't even know what to say to that. No. Uh, How embarrassing for him. So embarrassing. (laughs) Um, so after his escape didn't work, he's like, maybe I'll try this legally. And he started asking for appeals and he was even granted a good time policy, which gave him time off of his sentence for good behavior. So the rule was like two days off his sentence for 
every X amount of days of good behavior. Um, so his sentence because of this policy was reduced by half and he was to be released in May, 2006, um, which horrified his surviving victims. They were Lori Lister, um, complained, made a complaint and said she was very angry and that she was not being protected by the law and felt betrayed by the legal system. So, um, yeah, I would be too, because that's horrible. His, his sentence was reduced by 30 years because of this policy. So he only spent 30 years in prison. He was, he was going to. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. So Michigan, when they found this out, they worked even harder to get a case together to charge him for murders before he could be released in 2006. And finally, they found what they were looking for. In 2004, a man named Joseph, Joseph Foy came forward saying he had witnessed Carl kill a woman. And Foy had contacted the police immediately 25 years earlier, like right after it happened. Uh-huh. He went straight to the police when he saw it. And he said he saw the murder of Helen Dutcher and that she was struggling in an alley and she was stabbed 12 times. And Foy went straight to the police, reported it, and even gave a sketch of what Carl looked like. But the case went cold and they couldn't identify him. So his information was basically tossed out the window. But when Foy heard Carl was going to be released, he contacted police again to tell his story and that helped pin the Michigan murder on him. So Carl was finally charged with the murder for Helen Dutcher and he was extradited from Texas to Michigan. And his defense entered an innocent plea and would serve a mandatory life sentence without parole if he was found guilty. So in this trial, um, survivors testified Lori and Melinda testified, um, a survivor named Julie Sanchez reenacted how she was attacked at knife point. Um, so that's intense. She even agreed to reenact her own crime, um, for the trial. And Julie, Julie was the woman whose throat he slashed while changing her tire on the side of the road. So, um, that's yeah. like a traumatizing thing to just have someone just relive, reenact. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, I guess like you want to make an impression on the jury, like you want to show them. Yeah. How horrible this was, but geez. Yeah. So it worked, though. Uh, the case was strong, and on November eighteenth, he was found guilty of first degree murder for Helen Dutcher. November eighteenth of 20, 2004? Yes. That's awesome. 2004, yeah. Um, Two years before he was released. Uh-huh. And he received a life sentence. And then he was tried again for the murder of Gloria Steele, finally. And he received another life sentence. See, so, the right way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's justice. That is That's justice. even better than dying in prison. Yeah. Like, dying early, I mean. Yeah. You want him to live a long life behind bars. He didn't, though, because <laughs> he died on September 21st, 2007, 
of prostate cancer only two months after getting his second life sentence. So no way it wasn't a pleasant death, but he died in prison. Yep. And that is, that is the story of the Sunday morning slasher. So he's dead. May he rot in hell. So he deserves it. I cannot believe Texas. Yeah. Like that really upsets me that they would just like, that is such an, an insane deal that they made with him for what just to get all these cases figured out yeah I mean like on some level I get it but on another level like if I were a victim if I were the general public that would be infuriating well I mean you know that as soon as this guy gets out he's gonna continue to do it the point of prison is to keep people safe from the Mm -hmm. bad guys yeah he is kind of as bad as they come yeah, it kind of, it just makes no sense to me to give a very dangerous person a deal, even if you wanted all those names. Like, he's very right. dangerous. You cannot put him back. And he I mean, even he one time- him away for life. And maybe yeah. he would have confessed in prison, but at least he would have been behind bars for life. Yeah. And he even um, said in, in an interview one time to the police, if you ever let me out again, I'll definitely kill or something like that you know like he's even telling people that oh that's ridiculous but he got what he deserved i'm so glad that michigan they just went they just went all out Mm -hmm. really Um, glad they pursued it and they seem to really genuinely care and want and and then they understand they understand justice because this guy i mean he's already serving life with no possibility of parole Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's always confusing in jail because people that were are serving life sometimes still have their sentence reduced. So I really don't understand. Yeah, it's weird how that all works. Um, so I like how sometimes they do like multiple life sentences. Mm-hmm. But also, I feel like a big uh, reason for that is to get justice for the families that that lost somebody. Yeah, or for the victims ah. that are surviving hmm yep so I um I saw some interviews with some of the survivors um they're on YouTube you want to like type in their names if you want to watch them but they are kind of I mean obviously they're sad but they lived and they're strong people so good for them I do think that a lot <laughs> of survivors after crazy instances like that do really great things moving on and and they Mm -hmm. also they a lot of times you know they go and help other victims that have that are survivors or you know so yeah I think that it it does if there's one one bit of bright light that comes through all of that is that like it does create a very strong person yes yeah something like that for sure. Often, often it does. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, well, that was really, <laughs> really, that was, that was a crazy one. I think just the, um, the, the end alone, knowing everything he did mm-hmm. and then seeing what he got away with, um, 
it's just eye-opening with how our justice system works and hopefully yeah. they get their act together and whoever the heck made that deal cannot Doesn't make, make it again well <laughs> I will I, not I won't get over that um, I know it's a messed up deal yeah I don't but anyway love it. that was very interesting thank you for doing all the research on that and everybody oh everybody go out and make a Belgian waffle yeah to celebrate a good Sunday morning not one that involves slashing unless you're slashing up some strawberries to put on top of your waffles. <laughs> um, the hash slinging slash Spongebob. Make some hash browns. <clears throat> uh, it, is, um, it is Saturday morning here. So yeah. it was, it's pretty crazy. I feel like everyone's, um, I don't know. I don't know what's going on today. The dog and the kid and (laughs) I I miss I got like three phone calls during this too. (laughs) You busy? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. (laughs) But anyway, thanks again and thanks everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed. I'm Casey. I'm Emily. And you just heard a sprinkle of sugar, a dash of murder.